Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Fast Break Lift NBA Podcast. It's your boy Samuel here. I'm finally back. I know it's been a month or so, or two months, or however long it's been. I haven't recorded since the final, so, you know, got to talk about some off-season stuff with my guy, Nick Andre. Say what's up to the people. What's good, bro? Happy to be back on and talk hoops. Yep, let's get into it. We are... In the prime of, I mean, not even the prime. NBA offseason's kind of come and gone now. A lot of little things are trickling out as we head towards preseason and um, we head towards the regular season. So we've had the draft. Well, since the last time I recorded, we had the finals ended. The Bucks have won. Congrats to Giannis getting his finals MVP. Put on a virtuoso performance in the finals. Um. And then we got um, we had the draft, which was which was interesting. A lot of trades went down on draft night, and prior to the draft as well with the Westbrook trade and all that. Um, and then we had um, then we had summer league, so it's been quite the eventful. Oh, and then there was there was free agency in the middle of all that too. So we had quite the eventful past couple of months in the NBA. Um, so let's 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 talk about. Um, Let's talk about some summer league real quick, because summer league was kind of interesting. Um, a lot of the top prospects did end up playing a lot of games, so that was interesting. It was different from um, 2019, where a lot of top prospects didn't play. So I thought that was that was pretty dope. Um, and um, yeah, so what did you think about summer league this year? Like, what stuck out to you at least? In my opinion, and uh, I want to say I tweeted this like probably two weeks ago. Like, this is probably the most exciting summer league that I've probably watched in the last, like, probably so many years. Because, I mean, honestly, like, when I look back at summer leagues, like, maybe, like, 2018, 2019 and everything, like, I don't know. It, it was just kind of hard for me to, like, really get engaged into what's going on. But this year, I was really super impressed with it, with what everybody was doing. Um, shout out to the Sacramento Kings, who ended up winning the title. Davion Mitchell was spectacular. But, um, but you know, obviously, obviously you know, Obviously, the um the, the top players that you know that were always anticipated to uh, watch play were obviously Cade, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, and those guys. But it was really a lot of the guys that weren't really top top picks of the draft that really shine. Like for example, Chris Dort for um Indiana really showed out throughout the summer league. Uh, Sharif Cooper for Atlanta. Obviously, if you know me, I'm very high on Sharif, and I feel like I feel like he's really going to thrive in that second unit for Atlanta. He definitely showed up alongside Jalen Johnson. Um, other names. There's other names that I could think of, but they're just not coming to mind right now. Um, oh yeah, Leandro Ball as well for uh, Charlotte. Hopefully, hopefully, um, the way that he played in the summer league, hopefully he can possibly get a two way contract. So, you know, obviously, I mean, you know, the the top picks are obviously going to be the most looked at, but the but the one thing that I was impressed with was like you know all of like the lower the lower picks like mid to late first round or even like early second round guys that were really showing up during the summer league as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, I mainly caught most of um since I'm a Knicks fan, I caught a lot of Knicks summer league games. So, wh- whoever whatever top prospect they were playing against, that's who I was able to catch. So, I I caught some of Cade. He really didn't thrive that well in the mid-range from what I saw from his games, but I saw that he was hitting from 3, so that's that's pretty encouraging that, you know, he he has that going for him. Um and it was kind of odd that the Pistons were not playing him on ball more because that's his that's that 
ex- that allows him to expose exactly. most of his strengths. I, I was honestly kind of surprised by that either. I, I wonder if that's going to be a lineup that Dwayne Casey has, just having a Kate Cunningham, Killian Hayes backcourt to start the games. Yeah, it's 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 gonna be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out because we kind of got a sneak peek of it. Usually, we don't get like these type of like looks into these teams with um with um their starting lineups and like what type of units they'll be running. But it's like interesting with these younger teams because a lot of their core is here at summer league, so you're able to see some of these experimentations before they actually happen in like actual game, um, in actual game plan. So. It, it was interesting to see that. Hopefully, they they lean more to using Kate on ball because I feel like that allows him to play to his strengths as well. But it, it kind of kind of hurts it kind of hurts Killian because Killian's not the best off ball guy as well. Well, so. that's what I was thinking. Like you know, considering that the Pistons have the number one pick, I was thinking you know they just got Killian Hayes the year before. Like, should they look into possibly shipping away Killian Hayes and possibly getting something else? Yeah, that was definitely my thought process. Um, like when I, when when it, when we were entering this this um period of after the lottery when um they got um they got Cade and they already had Killian a lot of people were thinking guess Killian's gonna be on the on the block soon so you know and and that kind of same thing kind of applies with um Suggs and Cole Anthony as well in Orlando because I feel like a lot of people are assuming that Cole Anthony's probably gonna end up being on the way out and. They focus their they 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 turn their focus more towards Suggs because I think a lot of people think Suggs is a better prospect than than Cole Anthony is. So it's gonna be interesting to see how these um these point guard um lineups play out with um these recent draft picks. So, but yeah, going back to what I was saying earlier about um me being able to catch Knicks games, really able to see like. Cause like the Knicks, they were a team that picked very late into the first round and they picked like early in the second round as well. And then they, they got, I think was somewhat is, is somewhat a steal in Jericho Sims at 58 mm-hmm. being, being able to just like, he looks like he, he looks like you could just throw him into an NBA game and like, you could just like run some pick and rolls for him and he'll be good. So it's like being able to get someone like that at 58 and then getting the guys they got with McBride and Grimes where they got them and, and being able to attain assets at the same time. I feel like that was just like, that was a no brainer. And then you saw like what McBride was able to do even just defensively, but also offensively showing the ability to like um, pull up from way deep in three point range and having somewhat of an off the dribble game and Grimes, we already knew what he could do. So nothing that he did was really much of a surprise, but just being able to, yeah, he dominated the the summer league. I mean, and that's what you want to see from second year guys. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to the second year guys. Um, him quickly, Pr- Pritchard, um, Bain. A lot of those guys they they really showed out in in summer league because you know they have that prior NBA experience being on a playoff team. So it's good to see those guys come out in summer league and just kind of like stamp that stamp that um stamp their dominance. stamped their dominance early on so it's it's good to see that exactly and also um there's also another guy that i i honestly forgot to mention that definitely played well for the brooklyn Nets, cam thomas who who obviously obviously everybody knows is like a really gifted scorer so for him showing i think he averaged around like 25 26 a game throughout the summer league so i'm I'm really interested i'm really interested to see how like how Steve Nash is going to place him in that system like does does he does he play that joe harris role and be in a starting lineup or does he 
provide that energy off the bench. So that's that's definitely that's definitely something that I'm really interested to see um, as the season comes around. Yeah, he definitely he definitely fits their play type that they like, which is isolation scoring. But it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see because, like you said, um, he he's probably not gonna have to do much because I know at LSU he probably had to take on more of that scoring role because just the team that was built around them. But here in Brooklyn, where they have Kyrie and James Harden and Kevin Durant, he's not gonna be relied on to do that so much. So his game will be will be um way more simplified now. So. There's that, but yeah, he did put on a show during summer league, including that um game winner against um Washington in um double overtime. So yeah, he's he's very electrifying over there. Definitely. Um. So um, let's get into let's get into some the NBA schedule has released first. We got the Christmas day matchups and like the opening day matchups. Then we got the whole schedule. So tell me some ad- anticipated matchups that you have on your mind so far already. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I haven't really looked at the whole schedule as a whole, but obviously, I mean, I, I can kind of name some off the top of my head, you know, whenever days will be obviously, you know, the finals rematch between Milwaukee and, um, and Phoenix, you know, yeah, it's gonna be February 10th. Exactly. So, you know, I'm definitely excited for that. Um, uh, to me, I, I don't know. I mean, just looking at the schedule, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I know I'm not, I know I'm kind of going off topic, but it's kind of crazy how the reigning MVP doesn't get a Christmas Day game. To be honest, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense how you place you know other teams over the uh, over the Denver Nuggets. I mean, and I mean, I don't, I know they're not, I know they're not the best team. I know they got bounced in the second round, but at the end of the day, it's it's Nikola Jokic. Like you know, everybody wants to see him play, so. So yeah, that that was definitely some something that I had a problem with. But besides that, um, I definitely I definitely want to see how Brooklyn responds this year as well. You know, being being um, being fully back, you know, healthy. Let's see what they could possibly do because obviously, the, obviously, the narrative was you know they they could have beat Milwaukee if they were um, if they were all together and fully healthy, but unfortunately, it didn't happen. So. Yeah, I'm definitely probably the most. I'm, I'm definitely more excited to see how Brooklyn is, and, and then also the Lakers as well. You know, having LeBron, AD, and then also bringing in guys like Russell Westbrook, um, and a few other guys, Carmelo Anthony, Malik Monk, and the rest of those guys. So those those are those, those are definitely uh, a few teams that I'm really interested um, in seeing. Yeah, for sure. I and, and back to your Jokic point, like, yeah, on Christmas Day you gotta have the MVP, the reigning MVP play. Like, it's just like. You can't you can't not do that. And you know, um when you look at the matchups, you got Hawks Knicks playoff ma- um playoff rematch. That's gonna be very interesting. And then you also got the rivalry brewing there between the Hawks and the Knicks. Celtics Bucks. There's some past history with those teams in the playoffs as well as just like being Eastern Conference powers. Then you got the Warriors and the Suns. That one was a little weird to me because I just don't see where that can that came from. But I guess you gotta have Steph and you gotta have a team that was in the finals just now. So that's true. Yeah. You make them play together. So then you got the Nets versus Lakers, which everybody is like fawning over. I mean, I'm I'm not the biggest I'm not the person I'm not that person that's like fiending for a, a Lakers Nets finals because you know we just had a Bucks Suns finals and that was pretty exciting. So exactly. You know I'm I'm not really fiending for a big market to really get back into the finals all that quickly. I agree. I mean, um, especially considering that you know two of these small market organizations really put on a show throughout these finals, and then also you know 
just seeing Chris Paul get in for the first time and then also Giannis being able to clinch his first championship, getting in for his first time. So it's definitely it's definitely more anticipating to see like newer talent being able to get to the finals instead of every year LeBron, every year Steph, every year KD. So I agree. Yeah. And then, of course, lastly, I think at that spot where the Mavericks versus the Jazz, I think you bump. I think you bump the Jazz if you're going to put Jokic in that spot because I think that's just like the Jazz. Well, that's the thing. Like, like, I mean, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of people will disagree to that, just considering how Utah played last year and how they had the best record. But I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. But I know a lot of people that will probably dispute that. Yeah, and I, I I see where they're coming from because you know. I mean, it's two teams that you know they're they're they they played well in the in in the Western Conference um last year, and they're probably going to play well again this year. But you know, with the Mavericks, you kind of have to because Luca's becoming one of the faces of the league. Exactly. With the with the Jazz, it's not really required for them to be there, and then you know, just um having the um. I mean, yeah, you just got to put Jokic there just because he's the MVP, and you know. They're gonna be competitive regardless. So. I would, I would, I mean, I, mean, I would have personally had like a a Phoenix Denver matchup on Christmas instead of probably gold. Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's tough. I mean, you definitely do want to see Steph on Christmas, so I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, it is tough because you got a lot of stars to market, and also as well, you got some some matchups that you do want to that you do want to um um push forward. Definitely. So. And then we have um then we have opening night, which was um which is uh ring night for the Bucks. They'll be hosting the Nets, which is gonna be hilarious because James Harden has to watch yep. Giannis get that ring. And then you got the Warriors visiting the Lakers. And then on one on then that when on then that Wednesday after that Tuesday, you got the Knicks versus the Celtics, which will be very interesting because you know Knicks haven't really been um on prime time on opening night for a while now. I think the last time they were on it, it was like 2014, I think. It was like Mellow versus the Cavs. So it's, it's been a while. It's been a while for us over here in New York. So there's that. And then you got Denver versus Phoenix, which we were just talking about, which could have been a Christmas matchup, but instead they put it for opening um, week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of interesting matchups just because, like, it feels like a lot of teams got better this offseason. Definitely. So it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like there's a lot of teams that are just going to be like tanking the whole year. Like if if you're going to put money on a team tanking, it's probably going to be like Orlando, maybe Detroit, maybe Detroit fights for a playing t- a playing spot. Um, uh, maybe but, maybe Cleveland. I don't know. Yeah, but it's like a lot of teams they made themselves better this offseason, so you have no choice but to kind of respect right each and every matchup throughout the year. To an extent, so there's that. And then this year, since it's the 75th anniversary, they're introducing the 75 75th anniversary like special matchups between like um teams that have been here in the since the beginning or whatever. I guess it is. Um, and then you got these three teams: the Knicks, Celtics, and Warriors, who get special um jerseys because you know they're the three OG franchises of the league. So. It's gonna. Be, it's it's very interesting because like there's a lot of storylines I guess that you can build from these matchups. So from the NBA seventy five classic matchups, you got Toronto versus New York, 
Then you got Golden State versus New York, Golden State versus Boston, New York versus Boston, and Atlanta versus the Lakers. So very interesting matchups. You got basically like all the big markets and you got like some up and coming teams. And then you got Toronto, which is like a sort of young team that's on the rise, mm-hmm. sort of, but like they're in a weird spot, but you can still market them to be of a, a, a reasonable matchup against New York. So, you know, it's just what, what matchups take your, um, take your eye from those. I'll say the Toronto and New York matchup, but I, I feel like both of those teams are kind of in the same area. I mean, it's kind of like what you said. I mean, Toronto, Toronto's kind of a mixture between like a young team and like more of a seasoned vet considering that, you know, they still got guys like Pascal and, you know, and a few other guys as well. So I'm definitely excited. I'm definitely excited for the for their future now. Now that they drafted Scotty Barnes, so I'm definitely going to see what they. Wanna, I'm definitely going to see what they're capable of. And then also, I mean, when you look at New York, a lot of team or a lot of people per se are kind of writing New York off. You know, saying that you know they might not make the playoffs. I I personally disagree. Just considering that you know the the, uh, the year that the year that they had last year, will it be a lot tougher? Yeah, it definitely will. But I definitely feel like they're they're capable of definitely making the postseason again. So, you know, obviously Randall's coming back, but then you just got Kemba Walker. We just we just hope to God that, you know, he stays healthy. And then, you know, you and then you also got, you know, a lot of um, other guys as well. Um, hopefully Mitchell Robinson comes back. Obviously, you got Derrick Rose back. So and then and then, all, and then also, you know, a lot of young guys as well. So I'm, I'm definitely probably that's probably the one matchup that I'm definitely like, you know, kind of excited to watch out of those. Yeah, New York has become one of the more polarizing teams when you ask people on Twitter, especially this offseason, because. Some people overrate our moves, I guess. Well, not a lot of people overrate them, but like I guess more I guess Knicks fans are more reasonable about the moves than other people outside the fan base are cuz a lot of people outside the fan base think that we think that Kemba and Fournier are going to come here and be the saviors, but really they're just coming here to fortify what we built last year exactly. and just like make it better because you replace even like a, a 75% Kemba Walker is better than what Alfred Payton gave us last year. That, that is and, true. Um, and Evan Fournier is miles, miles, miles ahead of where Reggie Bullock is. So it's just, you're just improving your, your weak spots. And then they got better through the draft. And then, it, I mean, it, of course, it's going to be tougher this year because, you know, teams are going to be healthier and whatnot. And, you know, everyone, every team got better somewhat. So, Generally, it is going to be harder, but, you know, we're not going to be easy out ourselves because, you know, we got better ourselves. So it's like it's very tough to really um, approximate where, 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 where things are going to stand, do you th- which makes everything kind of interesting right now. Do you think the East has gotten better as a whole coming into the season? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't like moves that Chicago made just because, like, I just think that, like, the DeRozan specifically was just like an overpay to me i think and just like giving up a first as well as a well but but I, and i'll talk about that probably in another episode um why i didn't like chicago's all season but i think they did get better somewhat maybe not for like the long term but definitely short term they did get better um miami did get better adding lowry i mean they're still a bit older mm-hmm. still per se but they did get better somewhat um Charlotte got better, yeah. and you know probably Lamelo will be Lamelo, and maybe Hayward will be healthy for a full season. So I mean, yeah, there's a, there's there's a lot of guy, there's a lot of teams that did get better, but I think the Knicks got better as well. So you know it's just going to be an all out war for the for the, those six playoff spots in the East, and then those two playing spots are also going to be a battle as well. So 
it's going to make for very interesting basketball this upcoming season. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, you know, I guess I can kind of understand your reasoning with Chicago because, I mean, to me, I'm, I'm still having questions myself whether DeRozan and Levine could possibly work. But, I mean, besides that, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a fan of the Lonzo Ball signing, even though, because, I, you know, honestly, like, I, wanted, I wanted him to get traded to Chicago in the uh, in the trade deadline this past year. So I feel like I feel mm, like when you have definitely. him and Levine in that backcourt, and then, you know, Lonzo's already a traditional guard anyway. You know, he, he's more of a floor general. He's, he, I mean, he, he is adding a little bit of offense, and then on top of that, you know, he's a great on-ball defender. So I think, I think, I think Lonzo being on that team definitely, um, definitely elevates him at least a little, at least as like you know a playoff contender. I'll say, I'll say Chicago is more of like a six-seven seed. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are overrating them just because, like, I think a lot of people are Lonzo, Lonzo stands. So that's 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 one thing, right? And then you also got, um, I don't know. People love the Caruso edition. I think it's okay, but like Chicago just doesn't have as many defenders as LA did. Where like they're they're basically going to ask Caruso to be a defensive stopper, right? And I don't think he is to that extent a defensive stopper. Like he's a fine defensive player and probably like a team scheme where like he has guys like AD behind him and something like that. But there's no one like that in Chicago, so it's like. You're asking him to do more than what he's capable of, and you know that's probably gonna backfire on him. And then DeRozan is just an odd fit, just overall. Like I didn't see a team where DeRozan really fit, really like where the fit was seamless this off season, and that kind of concerns me. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I just didn't like Chicago's off season. I mean, a lot of people did, but. I wasn't that much of a fan of it. I mean, like for me, it's like you know, I like it, but I'm not. I'm not going to consider them as like a top contender in the East. No, I mean, especially when you still got teams like Brooklyn, um, obviously Milwaukee, Philly. I still think even like got teams like Atlanta and New York are, are like even better than Chicago still. Yeah, yeah. Like I just, I just didn't see it with 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 those moves. And I mean. They got. They had no choice but to make those moves, in my opinion, because you know Zach Levine is coming up on free agency next season, and you know you got to do whatever it takes to prove to him that you're dedicated to winning. Right. So they had to do these moves. So in the end, it will probably bite them in 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 the ass. But you know they got to do what they got to do. So definitely understand that. Um. And of course, you know, MLK Day, you got Grizzlies, they always play on MLK Day against the Bulls, and the Bucks will play the Hawks in Atlanta. I feel like that Bucks Atlanta game is gonna be very interesting mm-hmm. because it's gonna be able to if if both teams are fully healthy, you'll be able to gauge where they are really at because it was really hard to see how these two teams matched up with each other because you know, you had Giannis fall. Um Late in this series, you also had Trey dealing with injuries late in that series. Like, it was just very hard to gauge the teams. And you, and then also, you kinda, like, just, Cam Reddish coming, like, late in the series. Yeah, like, a lot of a lot of different factors that just kind of, like, a lot of variables that kind of make it hard to, like, really see where these teams are at. And I feel like because of, like, how far the Hawks got, a lot of people kind of overrate them in a sense now, where, like, they think they're – up there in the upper echelon with the east the, the those teams in the east but like it's going to be really interesting to see where they where they stand this season so i i'm i'm anticipating that and i'm anticipating 
um that the the um that matchup on MLK Day. Yeah, I mean it, it'll definitely be an exciting matchup, especially for um for Atlanta to really see where they're at. Because I mean, obviously, obviously everybody's gonna still expect that uh, Milwaukee to be at least a top one through three seed. So for Atlanta coming off of that Eastern Conference Finals, I mean they definitely got a lot of confidence and a lot of momentum. You know, I'm actually a pretty big fan of their offseason. Obviously, I, obviously, I mentioned earlier, you know, the drafting of Sharif Cooper and uh, Jalen Johnson. They did also re-sign John Collins, even though there are even though there are mixed emotions about that re-signing. I still I still like it pretty well. But I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, Atlanta, like I said, Atlanta's really got a lot of confidence and a lot of momentum, you know, coming off of that Eastern Conference Finals appearance. So, you know, having a rematch against Milwaukee and which which would probably which which would be like, you know, in the middle of the season, I think that'll definitely test them to see like where they're at as a team in the East. Yeah. So um let's move on to some extensions and some trades that kind of happened like late into off season, like not the big stuff that happened, but like we had some extensions happen with um one that happened um recently was um Terry Rozier mm-hmm. signing extension with Charlotte. Um, I think that kind of like, I, I, I noticed that this off season, a lot of guys are like locking themselves in with their team long-term. And I think it's just like, I think it's just like these, these, these players, they finally, like, I guess they see the landscape of the league and they see like, not a lot of teams have cap space going forward. Not a lot of teams have like, um, like, like I said, cap space and like, they see like which teams are like, kind of like set in stone. So I think just every everybody's just like trying to just get their get their guys together and just like try to make the best effort they can these next couple of seasons. So it's been very interesting to see how these teams have approached these um how these teams and these players have approached this offseason. So that was one of the extensions. So so how did how did you feel about like seeing all these extensions happen? Um, I liked it. I mean, I, I definitely agree. You know, a lot of a lot of um a lot of players are definitely looking to stick with the team long term and just see where the future holds. So you know, the one I think the one that I'm really excited about is the Rosero one. Just you know, it's kind of like what you mentioned. I mean, you know, it's it's a smart move considering you know the direction that Charlotte is going. You know, especially having guys like Lamelo, you know, and the rest of those younger guys. You know, just being a part of that playing tournament. Honestly, like honestly, if Lamella didn't get hurt, they'd probably be like at least a fifth or sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. But I mean, but that's just my opinion. But you know, but I think it's definitely smart. You know, Rozier definitely had a um, a really good season. I mean, he he really bet it on himself. You know, getting himself out of Boston. You know, and going to Charlotte, and really and really just really just showing out. To be honest, I mean, I'm definitely a fan of the um, of the Rozier extension. You know, we obviously know that MJ is going to make sure that he's going to pay his guys, and we'll just see where Charlotte goes from there. Yeah, some other extensions were um Robert Williams, he extended for four years, fifty-four million. Um you had um what was extended? Obviously Kawhi. Oh, Kawhi. Kawhi was one of the big ones. Embiid was another big one. Like you see in a lot of these big names, they're sticking with their teams. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Marcus Smart. That one was that one was interesting to see the reaction um from at least like most of NBA Twitter, but Celtics Twitter as well, because, you know, they have mixed emotions on, on Marcus Smart and, like, what his role should be on the team. Like, how much shots should he take? Like, should he be the point guard of the team, et cetera, et cetera. It looks like he's going to be the starting point guard because Dennis Schroeder signed there to be the backup. So, yeah, that'll, it looks like- that'll definitely be interesting, interesting because, 
Smart is not necessarily like a playmaking type guard, so I wonder. I wonder who's going to be their primary playmaker on the floor, unless unless they're just not going to have one. I mean, they could run point point Tatum. Okay, they they kind of did that at certain points in the se- in the season. Um, but does that last? But year. does that take away from his um from his offense? You know, being able to score. Do you think, or or should it work? Um, I think if they use it in the right way in the right amounts like they shouldn't do it too much but like like they shouldn't overextend him with playmaking duties because you know that's just not his his role on the team his role is to just score and like also play defense so you don't want to overextend him but you also do want to like be able to allow him to be um versatile as well so it's gonna be very interesting to see how they approach um what he does because to see how they approach this this point guard situation because ever, ever since the 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 point guard carousel for for the Boston Celtics has been very it's been it has been in constant motion since IT got traded like it was IT then it was Kyrie for 2 years he's out of there then it's Kemba then Kemba's gone and here now we're seeing what they're going to do now like is this Marcus Smart experiment going to work or is it going to be just um or is it going to be another failed experiment where they have to go into the bag of Pritchard? Or do they go with Dennis Schroeder? Do they make him starter? Like, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of like what I've been saying for a while now, like, even like for years back. It's like Boston Boston doesn't nece- necessarily like have off seasons where, you know, they can elevate as a team in the East, especially when you're going up against teams like Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and others. So it's like, I mean, it's like, you know, yeah, you have Tatum, you have, um, have Jalen Brown, and you have the rest of these guys, but... You know, like we we obviously saw last year that that the pieces the pieces that they had it obviously was not enough to even like be a top four five six team in the East. So it's like you know Boston to me just continues to be in that same position to where you know I mean they they can be a good team considering that you know considering the All Stars that they have, but they just seem to can't really elevate as far as like being like a legitimate favorite in the East. Yeah. And you know, I feel like I I feel like a lot of Celtics fans they're kind of like optimistic, kind of hoping that this Beal this Beal thing comes to fruition because you know they got the 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 St. Louis connection between mm-hmm. Beal and Tatum, and then you know the Wizards the Wizards situation has always been kind of weird and like now it's kind of even weirder because you know Dinwiddie said that him and Beal they wanted to play together, so it's like if he got his wish, then why would he leave? So you know. It's also very interesting what happens there with that. But, you know, um, yeah, the Celtics situation is very interesting because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people are lower on them. And then, you know, Celtics fans, of course, obviously they're higher on the team because, you know, they feel like Brad, Brad Stevens did a, a good job this offseason. I'm kind of meh on his decisions, especially bringing in a guy like Josh Richardson. I know defensive, defensively, he's not even like all that he's up claimed up to be at least to me. And then the offense is very, very, very like there's is very left. There's, there's a lot to be desired with his offense. So it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm also meh on the Celtics offseason. I'll probably just, I'll probably talk about it more in depth on another pod, but yeah. Definitely. I did like, I did like the, de- I like for, for what it's worth, the Dennis Schroeder move was um was pretty was pretty good on their end. They got him at like a very cheap price point, and you know he'll be able to do a lot of things for them defensively and like at the point of the attack and stuff like that. 
it's just like, you know, will Dennis's ego get the best of him because, you know, he wanted that big contract and he didn't get it. So will he be like playing for that contract this year? So there's also that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that'd be, that'd be really tough for him. I mean, you know, for me, like all he has to do is just, you know, remain humble and just really just, you know, just show out to be honest. I mean, we, we, we've seen what Dennis Schroeder is capable of, especially, you know, during, during that uh, season that he had at OKC where he was a sixth round of the year candidate. I think, I think he got a little, a little ahead of himself when he was with the Lakers, you know, basically saying that, you know, he's worth this amount of money and that, you know, and that he, he's the starting point guard for a championship team, yada, yada, yada. So now, now I think he's kind of came back to reality. I, I kind of disagree. I don't really like the contract that he got. I mean, I definitely didn't think that he was worth a hundred million, but then again, I, I would not have signed him to like a one year, $5 million, uh, $5 million deal. I definitely did not expect that, but this would definitely be a test for him to just, you know, come into the season and just really, and just really produce at a high level for the Celtics. Yeah. So, um, a little bit of change of plans. I know I told you about, um, we'll talk about some trades as, as well, but I do want to get into one trade specifically because it, it involves a former Pelicans player. And I do want to talk about the Pelicans because there was, I don't know if you saw on Twitter the last like day or so about the, um, Zion CAA ESPN, um, conspiracy theory, uh, triangle, whatever. I don't know if you've seen that recently, but mm, I haven't. You haven't. Okay, so let me let me just let me just inform you and any other listeners that haven't been paying attention because you know it's kind of been in it's kind of been a topic between Nick's Twitter and Pelicans Twitter, especially over the last couple of months. Really, like I don't know if you remember that Zion interview. When um they asked him about playing in MSG for the first time. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- I think that player. was like I think that was like earlier this year. I want to say. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it, ever since then, the tea leaves about Zion and New York have been like kind of just they've been floating out there more and more and more. And you know, Ethan Strauss. You know, we all know who Ethan Strauss is. If you're like, if you are like paying attention to NBA reporting and all that. Yep. He came out with something, I think it was like yesterday or a couple of days ago, basically, where he was pointing out like, you know what? Let me find it because I don't want to be like totally inaccurate about like where like it's coming from. But um, OK, so basically he was he was pointing out how CAA happens to represent key media at ESPN NBA which by design and accomplished with the subtlety intact, blah, 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 whatever. Basically he's talking about, he talks about how like ESPN CAA, you know, how CAA runs the Knicks basically with Leon Rose being former CAA. Tom Thibodeau is a CAA client. Mm -hmm. Zion is also CAA as well. So him having interest in the Knicks is some big plot by ESPN and CAA to get Zion to the Knicks so that way everything is in their favor and whatnot. So that's basically what Ethan Strauss was getting at. Oh, my God. It's it's insane because, I mean, you know, (laughs) I can definitely understand, like, you know, Nick fans like you, you know, who are really anticipating – you know, Zion, Zion was supposed to be in New York. You know, everybody was projecting New York to get that number one pick in 2019, but unfortunately it didn't happen. So now, so now we're here, here we are two years later, Zion's a Pelican, you know, he's, 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 he's honestly had some pretty good years, but 
I just don't think New Orleans is really going in the right direction per se. So, you know, I've, I've been saying for a while now that, you know, I, I don't, I would not be surprised if Zion requests a trade within like the next year or two, if not sooner, because it just doesn't, I, I don't know. It's like New Orleans just really makes like head scratching decisions for me. Like, honestly, I mean, even this past or like, even like earlier, like, like maybe like a month ago, I, I think they made a trade. They traded Steven Adams, um, Eric Bledsoe, and, Eric Bledsoe. and I think I think I think it was like the tenth overall pick. The first, yes, yeah, so yep. was like I don't I don't really understand that you know trading trading away a first round pick just for was it Valanciunas I want to say Valanciunas and a chance to move back to dump cap space because they thought they'd be able to get at least Kyle Lowry or Chris Paul exactly so. I don't. I don't know what the front office is thinking. You know, especially when you got a a player of that caliber in Zion Williams. I mean, I, I definitely understand. You know, you do want to. You do want to get like you know top free agents per se, but it just doesn't seem like it's working for them. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't. I I wouldn't be surprised if Zion does request a trade soon, and possibly find his way to your to New York because I mean he he obviously shows that you know he's really interested in playing with the Knicks. Obviously, he has that connection with um with R J Barrett um being with them being too dookie so. I don't know. I mean, and you know, he also has a he also has a connection with Emmanuel. Quickly, they played together in um AAU. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. That's so, right. That's right as well. So yeah, he has he has connections with a, a lot a lot of our Knicks as well as you know, he he just he wanted to be a Nick on draft lottery night. Like you saw his face oh, yeah. when mm-hmm. the Pelicans got when the Knicks fell to three, and he and he ended up being a Pelican at number one. He wasn't the most thrilled person in that room. I'll tell you that. So. That alone tells you how you felt about that. And um yeah, I mean it's it like it has, for me it's ridiculous to say that CAA and ESPN are like plotting for like Zion or planting these these ideas in Zion's mind to like leave. The Pelicans are just really not well run. They're like, not. <laughs> just look at all the moves David Griffin has made over the past like year or so i want to say like or like ever since he took over like giving up first for steven adams giving up first to dump cap space so that way you can get people that it you're not gonna terrible, get honestly. like these sound like moves that the knicks of old would have and probably did make so it's like it's just like all around bad stuff and like i feel like pelicans fans they don't want to admit that their front office is like really that bad so they're trying to like deflect onto like the Knicks who are finally like somewhat on the rise and like try to like poo poo what they're doing by saying, Oh, it's just CAA and, and ESPN all in their favor and all that. And I, I I wish that was the case. I wish even like 5% of this was real because I would be on the moon right now, but none of this is real. Exactly. I mean, I mean, obviously there are like, there are CAA guys in the media and they'll probably talk more highly of the Knicks, but like, they're not going to like, tell zion to like sell his family to join the knicks or something like that like that's that's just not what's gonna happen so like all these things that pelicans fans and ethan strauss want to deflect onto the knicks and and you know what makes it even funnier is because clutch has clutch has been doing this for years and they're not used as the example why 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 is caa and the knicks being used as as such and caa has only been taking over the knicks for like what this is their second year in operation so like, come on, Clutch has been doing this with the Lakers for like five, six years. I mean, the KCP contract that ended up getting that ended up being a favor to get LeBron onto the team. Like, come on, like this has been going on for ages. So I, I definitely agree. This with is that. nothing new. Honestly, I mean, now just you know thinking about 
how bad the Pelicans are. I, I think I think the only one like great addition that they have like even added like besides besides the um the Zion pick was when they traded AD for Lonzo, Ren Ingram, those guys. So I think I, like besides that, I don't I can't really think of like one thing that you know that really stands out or like one move that really stands out for them throughout the offseason. I mean, the Blesso trade I wasn't really that fond with. You know, like I mean, just you know, giving up, giving up uh, Drew Holiday for Eric Bliss. I wasn't really fond of that, and the, and even and even this trade here. I mean, for Valanciunas. I mean, I, and I like Valanciunas. You know, what I'm saying like he's he's a great he's a great big man. I mean, we obviously saw that you know in the in the playing tournament against Golden State, and even in the, and even in the playoffs per se. But you know, it, it's just not enough for the Pelicans, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean. And and Valanciunas in theory does fit better next to um, Zion, Zion than than Stephen Adams, so that that alone is is a good move. But like dumping all that cap space to get Kyle Lowry and or Chris Paul, and to end up with none of them, and end up with Devontae Graham, which you ended up giving up a first to get. I mean, it's just head scratching moves all around. Like I just don't understand. And Pelicans fans, they don't. I don't think they see anything wrong with it. And you know. I mean, when Zion takes that qualifying offer and just ends up signing outright with New York, it's gonna be it's gonna be nasty over there. Yes, it is. I just know that. So yeah, that's 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 what I really wanted to touch on because you know it's something that just popped up recently, and you know I figured I covered it on the pod because you know, you know that's what that's what I do here. So yeah, that 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 just annoyed me because it's like, come on, Clutch has been doing this for years. And, I mean, of course, people criticize it at first, but now everyone's like, hey, it's just clutch. So, you know, you just leave it alone at this point. Hopefully it gets to that point with the Knicks where it's like, hey, it's just CAA. And, you know, Zion is just being rumored here because the Pelicans are just bad and New York's on the rise. And yeah. when when a big market's on the rise, you rumor stars to go there. That's just how it goes. Yeah, it's been like that for years. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know why everyone's acting like this is something brand new. So, like, I don't know. Um, so let's get into, um, oh, from the Bledsoe trade, it ended up, after that, he ended up getting shipped to the Clippers in a surprising trade package of Patrick Beverly, Rajon Rondo, and, um, Daniel Aturu. So that was interesting as well, because, um, Clippers get back Eric Bledsoe, but this is like a super, not super washed, but like it's a washed version of the Bledsoe that they had previously which they used to call mini lebron Mm -hmm. then you got um pat bev who ended up actually being moved from memphis to minnesota a day later so there's that as well and probably rondo will end up probably either get end up getting bought out or whatever but i don't think he's gonna end up staying in um in memphis so that was an interesting trade how did you feel about that trade to be honest like you know I've, i've been trying to process this like you know since the um since the trade had happened like I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how Bledsoe can fit in with this Clipper team. I mean, we, I mean, we obviously know that you know the energy that the, the energy that he brings to the floor. You know, as far as like you know being 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 at the point of attack, but I, I don't know. It's like you know, I, it's just it's just hard for me to like really imagine like how he fits with Paul George and you know the rest of these guys. You know, so I don't know. How do how do you feel about it? I'm, I'm kind of I'm still I'm still trying to figure that out. I mean, like, everyone's like, oh, like, he's a better, like, um, he's better at penetrating and getting into to the, to the rim, I guess, and, like, being able to kick out to the shooters on um, on the Clippers. And, I mean, I guess, in theory, it works, but, like, we'll see. 
we'll see how it plays out. And like when Clippers, when Clippers fans are complaining midway through the year about like why is Bledsoe not as good on defense? Well, he doesn't have Giannis and Brooke Lopez protecting the rim behind him, so you know that that that's one thing right there. Mm-hmm. And then you also don't have um, I mean he's gonna have the driving lanes because they're probably gonna play um smaller with um Paul George, T Man, and those guys. So he'll have the driving lanes, but when they ask him to shoot and stuff like that, I don't know how that's going to work out for him. So there's that. But, I mean, it's like that's a lot. Not a lot, but like three players for for for, for Eric Bledsoe in 2021 is kind of a lot. I agree. They saw, some, they saw something that they wanted with Eric Bledsoe, I guess, and we'll see if Tyron Lue can work his magic there as well. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, so let's get into, um, some, some, some NBA media, I guess that's been going around. Um, let's talk about, um, the KD and Draymond conversation. I I didn't really get to see all of it. I did get to see that clip that was circulating about basically their time in Golden State. I know you are a Warriors fan, so I will let you go first and talk about how you felt about everything that they discussed. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, that, that was probably like my highlight of the week is just, you know, watching an interview between Katie and Dre. And for the record, I mean, you see a lot of people saying, oh, this is their reunion. Like, honestly, Katie and Draymond had already squashed their beef a long time ago. I mean, you obviously saw, I mean, they, they just want to, uh, they just want to gold medal together in the Olympics. So they obviously had um, squashed the beef then. But I, I definitely, I definitely like how they really, you know, went went in sync with that uh, with that particular subject as far as like you know their argument at Golden State. I mean, they they did talk about it briefly on uh, KD's podcast, but I think I think on this one on Draymond's pod they went more in depth for say. So, you know, obviously Draymond brings up how after the situation, the front office calls him in, uh, Bob Myers and the rest of those guys, basically telling him to apologize, basically trying to get in between everything. And and you you could just see like both KD and Draymond both kind of agreed that you know the reason why everything went left for the Warriors that year was because you know every, like the coaching staff and the front office just had to really get into it or like you know try to get in between that whole situation and they both admitted like you know if that didn't happen that you know things would have been different but you know I mean honestly if you ask me like I don't I don't necessarily consider Draymond the reason why KD decided to leave Golden State just because, I mean, you, you could kind of tell, like, just from, like, the beginning of the year that like, KD was already kind of, like, one foot out. You know, obviously, obviously you know, everybody had the speculations of, you know, you know, him and Steph. I mean, not not saying that him and Steph had a problem, but, you know, Steph was basically, like, you know, the savior of Golden State, you know, and KD was kind of the best player. So a lot of people didn't view KD in the same, in the same areas, like, as far as, like, as far as how Steph is viewed in Golden State. So I, I, I'll probably say that definitely played a part, but you know, it's tough because, I mean, you know, the Warriors definitely wanted to three-peat. You know, they were they definitely had a shot at it. But, you know, unfortunately, KD went down with that Achilles injury. So, you know, I mean, besides that, I mean, that season was – the season was kind of pretty weird. Per se. I mean, Golden State was still, was still good. But, you know, just, just from the outside looking at you, you could just tell that, you know, things were just a little off that year. Yeah, you definitely could tell something was off that year. And, you know, I, I, I found it funny because, you know, Draymond – Draymond, I know he he's has he's been super important to Golden State success, but like the way he talks and like the way he carries himself, it seems like he like I don't know the front office has empowered him to a whole nother level. I've never seen any other even super role player get coddled to in that way, and like he he's been able to. He sounds like he wants out, but at the same time, he still wants to be a Golden State. So it's kind of weird. 
Cause like he says a lot of stuff about like the front office and stuff like that. And I guess like you gotta be honest as well, but like maybe be honest after your tenure there, not sound like you already want to be out of there. So there's that as well. But um yeah, I mean, I don't know. From that clip, it just felt like, you know, Katie and Draymond just trying to like get their like last hits in on Golden State or whatever and like I forgot who it was, but someone asked. I think it was if it was Stephen A. Smith. He said like, "Where was Steph and all this?" Oh and, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know if any. I, I don't know if anyone remembered. Steph had to like. Steph was at home. At home. Oh yeah, that's during, right. He didn't even play that injury. game. He was at home recovering from injury. He had to join them on the road trip to make sure like everything was good. Like he had to come over there, and that's how you know he was the like the legit leader of that team because he had to come from his house mm-hmm. where he was rehabbing from injury. And basically had to like step in to like make sure every all sides were good and like make sure everything like make sure everything doesn't collapse basically, and you know, I I, I just felt like if if things got to that point then it was like really serious. So exactly, and I, I I don't think like I think the front office was just trying to like do what they needed to do to like discipline Draymond. And, you know, of course Draymond's not gonna like take heed to that because he's Draymond. So it's like. It was just a very combustible situation, and it could have been all avoided, like Kevin Durant said, if Draymond and him just like sat down and like, or like the team came together, like Katie said, wanted he said he wanted like last dance style and be like, that's true, like how how he said everyone came up to Scotty and was like, yo, that's not cool, like he wished everyone had did that, and that way they could have got gotten over it sooner, and maybe it wouldn't have gotten to the level that it did. So exactly, and I mean like championship teams, you know, they're always going to go through like, you know, ups and downs, you know what I'm saying? So they're going to have arguments. I mean, we, we saw it with, um, with the bulls in the last dance. I mean, we saw the drama that, that they had there. We hear the stories about Shaq and Kobe. Um, there were even some, there were even some issues in Miami when, uh, when LeBron was there with D Wade and those guys. So, you know, I mean, so, you know, when, when you're with a team that long, you know, and you guys win multiple championships, I mean, there's going to be some headbutting. And honestly, I mean, I think, I think, I think the reason why people made it so big was because Katie and Draymond were so close, you know, going to concerts and doing a lot of things. So you know, so once, so once everybody saw that happen, and then obviously, you know, how how Draymond responded to Katie after after uh, Katie was asking for the ball and everything. So you know, like once everybody saw that, you know, I think everybody just kind of blew it up out of proportion. I mean, I want to, I want to say there was an interview like during that season, like I think somebody had um had asked. Asked Draymond about the situation. I mean, Draymond basically said that he and Kitty had already squashed it, like literally, like the night after. I want to say, or or the um, or the day after that, per se. So, obviously, you know, I, I want to say they were probably already over it. But I was, but I mean, you obviously know. I mean, the media is going to blow it all into proportion and take it to a whole nother level. Yeah, and you know, I mean, if they had won the championship that year, no one would have cared, but. Mm-hmm. So, like, since they didn't win, Katie had the injury, he left, all that stuff. A lot of events happened after that that just weren't in the Warriors' favor. So, like, that that moment will always stand as, like, the tipping moment of, like, when things went wrong. And it, it was probably not even that case, honestly, or it wasn't even that serious. Cause I, feel like even, I feel like even further down the line, we'll hear more about this that we didn't hear now. And, you know... A lot of people were saying they were, they were anticipating this type of interview to happen later in their careers or like after their careers. So it's kind of weird that they did it now. Mm-hmm. And I kind of agree because like a lot of stuff that you say now could used to be could be used to indict you 
now on your career still now because like people could be like oh draymond's still exactly because i mean because now now people are basically saying like you know what's the future of um draymond with the warriors now considering that he just that he just gave a lot of people like that information so yeah so that's an interesting thing now to go from there yeah and we see how like things can like really like lead to teams blowing up um speaking of such did you catch the malice in the palace doc i did i did and i i honestly enjoyed it honestly yeah it gave it gave like it was short it was shorter than i expected but like it gives like some solid insight into that pacers team and like the mindsets of those guys as they were going through what they were going through like you had reggie who like he was on the he was on the like brink of the end of his career Mm -hmm. and like he was like so close to getting a championship you had Jermaine O'Neal, who was like a young emerging talent, like basically on the cusp of superstardom. And you had Ron Artest, who was that guy. Like he was a legitimate, like almost star. Yeah. yeah, he was an all-star. And like you had um, J- um, Steven Jackson, who was like the perfect complimentary guy to all those, ty- all those guys. But it was just so combustible because you had so many fiery personalities and then you had Ron Artest, who was like going through his own mental mental health stuff that he needed to take care of, and he just didn't get it taken care of at that time. And you know, it just it just led to all these different um, issues within the team, and then it just it just led to that that brawl. And it could have been avoided if it could have been avo- avoided if the fans didn't didn't interact exactly. the way they did. Honestly, like the that like that was the main reason why it even like escalated to how it was because you know because of the dummy that threw a um that threw the beer bottle at Ron Artest and then and then obviously I mean Ron Artest ended up going to the stands but you know the whole narrative back then was that you know those guys were unprofessional and everything else but I mean the, the thing about it you know the Ben Wallace the Ben Wallace push was really hard I mean I'll admit that but it it, it what what really got me was Jamal Tinsley telling Ron Artest to go oh, yeah, get that to foul. Get the foul yeah that's what pissed me off because he's the one that instigated everything mm-hmm. like he's nowhere to be found in the documentary they don't talk to him they don't mention him ever again after that like bro he's like probably the single like he's like the spark that really ignited everything really because Ronald test probably wouldn't have done that if jamal tinsley didn't put a battery in his back so it's like and even like and, he, and even steven jackson pointed that out that you know like on the, on the next on the next defensive play like he was guarding Pen- benny and he was going to let him score because i mean i want to say the the, uh, the paces were up by like 15 16 points so the game was practically over yeah it was a blowout basically exactly yeah. so and then and then out of nowhere i think ron ends up coming in and ends up fouling him but then that and then that's what basically just started everything yeah so i mean and then of course you got the way the media the way the media spun this was oh yeah, that was nasty crazy back then. It was, it was nasty. crazy. Calling calling them thugs, mm-hmm. saying that oh they got to be more professional. That's when the NBA instituted instituted that dress code of like wearing suits, which we see now is like basically all gone now. Yeah. But back then, the NBA was really trying to clean up its image, and you know, the the media really forced David Stern's hand, and he had no choice but to come down hard on these players and. It wasn't even their fault because if yeah, the fans the didn't do like, anything, that's the thing about the it fans- is that, like, you know, what I'm saying, like, I, I don't, I don't recall like a lot of fans, like, you know, really getting consequences. I mean, there were, there were, there were a few fans that were like banned for life and everything, but I mean, there was like thousands of fans out there that were, like throwing chairs, like throwing like popcorn, beer bottles, and stuff like that. So, you know, it it, it just kind of sucked how like everything just kind of fell on the players because because at the end of the day, you know, like it was the fans that really like instigated like this entire or. You know, basically, basically escalated it to where it was. 
Yeah, and it kind of like it like it, it kind of ruined the careers of like a lot of these guys. Like, of course, Reggie didn't end up getting that chip because I mean that Pacers team they seemed like they were like on a roll that year, and they feel like they they legit thought that they had a chance. Um, and you know, Ron Artest was that guy, and you know he ended up ended up being a role player later on in his career. And then Jermaine O'Neal, I feel like he's the one that suffered the most mm-hmm. from this from this incident because. He was just like he was just trying to defend himself and his teammates, and he ended up getting suspended for a lot of games, and you know, and you know, ended up altering the course of his career. And then, of course, you know, injuries ended up playing a part as well. But you know, I feel like this is what really screwed over Jermaine O'Neal for his his career. I I, de- know, that sucks I, for I, him. I definitely agree. To be honest, I mean, you know, especially like with him, because I want to say he was a he was an all star too around that time. And, you know, the Pacers were the Pacers were legit legitimate favorites. You know, to come out of the uh, to come out of the East, and I mean, and, and everybody basically said it because I mean they ended up meeting in the uh, in the conference finals in 03. So I mean, so everybody was saying like you know whoever won that series ended up winning the championship or or my bad 04. It was 04 uh, conference finals. So. So, so you know, we obviously saw you know the uh, the Pistons ended up beating the Lakers that year, and they ended up winning the chip. So, a lot of people thought that it was going to be Indiana that year. So, so going into that year, they they had a lot that they were that that they were playing for. So, you know, it, it was just unfortunate. It was just unfortunate to see it cut short after that uh, after that malice situation. Yeah, but I mean, overall, it was a good doc. I I feel like it it, it covered the event really well and it's it's good to see these documentaries from the the players perspectives because a lot of times we we get the outside looking in mm-hmm. and like you know we 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 get like a biased perspective and of course it's biased from the players point of view but it feels like a little more authentic coming from those players because you know they're the ones that experienced it and all that so i really enjoyed it so hopefully we get more docs on more events in the nba coming from the players point of view because i feel like that's 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 it's, it's it's important to the to the storytelling of the of the NBA. Exactly. I mean, and and I think I think another thing that probably surprised me the most was that you know it, it was really mainly just Jermaine O'Neal, Stephen Jackson, and Ron. Like I definitely thought that you know that we were going to get guys like Jamal Tinsley, um, even like guys like Rasheed Wallace, Billups, you know, and other guys you know that were actually there. So I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, they. I, I think they did that to keep it more centered on like the main players that were involved with it. Like you know, Reggie, he was the all-time pacer, and then you had the 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 other guys who were like the main instigators, the ones that really dealt with the consequences the most. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's who they were trying to focus on because Reggie, of course, he didn't end up getting the title. He thought he was going to win that. He thought he was going to end up at least having a chance to get to the finals and win. And then you had those other three players who ended up suffering the consequences of the suspension. So I think Jermaine just wanted to keep it focused on those those main characters involved and just like leave everything else outside, like just like leave that leave that be. So I felt it was really good that way. I understand that. All right. So I think that's that's all we got for today's episode. Um, let the people know where they can find you. Yes, sir. Uh, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Nick Andre ATR. For those who may not know me, I'm a basketball writer slash analyst covering everything from high school to the NBA. Also, follow me on um, on the halftime at, 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 at Nick Andre ATR as well. Oh yeah, I'm on the app too. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to use it more often. I'm trying to get on more. Um, yeah, it's, more it's hard to use that. It's, it's hard to use that app because you know it's like so many other different streams that you're using and stuff like that. It's like it's it's easy to lose track. Right. I feel you. So that's that's all you got for the people. Mm-hmm, that's it.
I um you know find find me at the Strickland. I haven't done much there recently. I mean recently I collabed on a free agency piece about campaign, but you know follow, go check the Strickland out. The link will be in the description. Excellent, excellent Knicks content coming out over there. Um and you know follow me on um on Twitter and follow the podcast page on Twitter. And we out of here.